Hello, and welcome to Warhammer 40K's Grim History from Beyond. I am Zekthar. And I'm Yuxin. And we are the chroniclers of all that was, and all that will be in the 41st millennium. We've seen the rise and fall of many empires. And this week, we'll be looking to the mysterious Chaos Space Marine Legion, known as Alpha Legion. Yes, the insidious Elf Legion, experts in subterfuge and covert operations, the Cloak and Dagger Legion of the Ritual Founties, and now Renegade Space Marine. While we will be going a wee bit dark this month, because we are chronicling the hordes of chaos, fear not, we will try keeping it as light as possible. Indeed, you sir. We'll make treachery and murder as happy as possible. This month, we'll go over the Primarchs of the Legion, who the Chaos Gods actually are, and some notable characters, of course. Of course, Zekthar. But to our dear listeners, if you like our stuff, please subscribe, follow, like, and comment. And I suppose if you wish to help Bob, you can click the support podcast button on any of our descriptions on Spotify. For those who listened to our first Vox, uh, what was it again? The history of the Necrons. Right. Just to let you guys know, the audio does get better. Quite right, Yuxin. If you like what we do, don't hesitate to plug in on Spotify. We wish to keep this free and without ads. So if you find folks truly enjoy this, you can help. If you only donate to Bob on our Spotify channel for 99 cents a month, we can continue doing our stuff without those hated ads. Now, mind you, if you wish to do more, feel free. But this is all we ask, just 99 cents. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Today is our last day discussing Alpha Legion, and I have to admit, this month has been an interesting one. All right, Sekthar. The more I learned about this strange legion, the more questions I found. The same here, brother. They are a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. But through all these questions, I hope we answered a few of yours, dear listeners. Indeed, Sekthar. But we do have a few questions that you folks have sent us, and we'll do our best to answer them. Our first question comes from at Damien Rusko, and he writes, what happened to Kurz on Devon? I know Sangi releases him at some point, but don't know the details. Was that it? Did his visions actually assist as intended? Well, Rusko, after the second battle of Devin, the Blood Angels, Dark Angels, and the Ultramarines punched through the Great Rift, like I discussed in the second battle of Devin. What I didn't state was what happened to... The Nightmare, Conrad Kurz. He was frozen in a coffin and then shot out into space. For the rest of the Horus Heresy, Conrad floated through space. That's the only contribution that he gives to the whole Horus Heresy. Just kind of floating. He was eventually found and later met his demise through the guise of an Imperial assassin. Apparently. I say apparently because his death unfortunately cannot be proved and who knows if the Nightmare is still alive and murdering to this very day. As to his visions, they really didn't help much. All he could foresee was his death and that of Sanguinius's. When they reached the Temple of Devin, the Nightmare became despondent when the angel disappeared into the portal, for he had no knowledge of any of that happening. I hope this answered your question, and thank you for asking. Uh, now, before we go on, Yuxin, I did also want to mention, when it came to the foresight, the two big ones anyways that Conrad really knew about was his own death and Sanguinius's. And at that point, anyways, I mean, them going to Devin didn't change any of that. He still saw Horus killing Sanguinius, and that did end up happening. So um, it didn't really help all that much. But uh, um, who, who uh, do we have any more questions on the block there, Yuxin? 
Yes, we have one by Sincrona. He asks, does it take a lot of psychic energy from orcs to run their battleships? Like, how many need to be on the ship and believe in it working for it to work? If enough orcs die within the ship, would it start to lose power? To put it specifically, it's sort of an aspect of how many, well, how well the ship is put together for one thing. Right. And based on that, that's pretty much it. If they have it even like mildly put together, where it will just be able to at least stay in one piece, it would probably be fine. It may end up just staying stuck in the warp if they tried to travel into the warp. Uh, Right. Yeah. I mean, the, so with with orc battleships, I mean, a lot of the things that that work on orc battleships are just simply because the orcs are there and they're using their wog energy. But and the more that you remove, the more orcs that you remove, yeah, probably systems on the ship won't work. But it's not like they're gonna it, the ship itself is gonna dissolve. I mean, the way that wog energy works is that well, okay, quite frankly, the way that wog energy works is that it works for the orcs. That. That's about it. So, I mean, like the concept of, you know, their trucks go faster if they paint it red. Doesn't make any sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to the orcs, so therefore it works. It's kind of a bizarre relationship. Now, I'm assuming the reason why Sakrona is asking this is because on the short fox that I did uh, with Horus and the Emperor, when they went to the Battle of Goro, there was a scrap world called Goro. And the more orcs they killed anyways, the more that that scrap world started to fall apart. Now this, like I said before anyways, when you start killing off orcs anyways, things start to, uh, well, they, they stop working, but not necessarily they fall apart. This was like a world that was built within like the super energy conductor. And that was actually starting to tear the world apart. It wasn't like everything was slowly starting to dissolve off of it. It was like literally because the engine was fueled by the wog energy on the inside of this this uh, um, planet, it was becoming more, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, Euxin? Um Something unstable. starts to become more. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, starting to become more unstable, which meant anyways, it was starting to actually break apart the world. And and in the end of that, I, di- I didn't actually mention this, but in the end anyways, before they actually teleport back, the Emperor actually uses his psychic abilities uh, to actually blow up that, and it actually blows up all of Goro. But um, I hope that this answered your question. Uh, do you got anything else to add on that, uh, Yuxin? No. Okay. Just want to say thank you all uh, who sent in your questions. And to those of you who have more questions, go ahead and send them in on the comments or send them to our website at www.ashrocket.com. Um, and what we normally end up doing after that is we end up compiling all these questions and we answer them at the end of next month in our Q&A. Uh, now, before we get into our final thoughts on the Alpha Legion, I looked up something that you all might find fairly interesting. Really? What might that be? Well, remember last week when we kind of went off on a tangent about how old Space Marines can get? Yep. Well, I found out who the oldest Loyalist Space Marines are. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing, Yuxin, you know who the oldest is. I think you talked about it last week. Um, the oldest recorded, I should say. Right. Um, 
is Dante, and it's around 1,100 years old. Yeah, I found that, um, yeah, he is definitely the oldest. His his lifespan, though, it's kind of interesting because there's um, the best recorded I've seen anyways is 1,100 years old, although I have seen it anyways dated as far back as 1,500. But, yeah, for surety, it's kind of like anyways when Sacrona asked us all the way back when we did, oh, Space Wolves, how old uh, um, Bjor was. And we had to try to kind of figure that out. And we could never really actually give you a conclusive number. It's kind of the same with the rest of these guys. There's always going to be a little bit of like give and take. So give or take anyways, Dante being 1,100 years old, give or take about another 100 or 200 years. Same with uh, uh, like, for instance, Logan Grimnar. We talked about him last week. Um, I looked that up too anyways. He's somewhere around 700 years old. And if you recall right, uh, and we talked about uh, Ulrich the Slayer uh, when we did Space Wolves, and he always referred to Logan as the young pup, right? Right. Um, I looked. I, I looked up, anyways, how old he was. Uh, did you Did you happen to find that out? Because I remember you were kind of looking for it, anyways, when we did Space Wolves. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I, I I believe though when we've been discussing it, uh, he. The best guess is around 950 years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, which it's still fairly old. I mean, you know, most most space marines, from what I found, anyways. I mean, you're lucky if a space marine lives two to three hundred years old. They do not really die of old age. They do age. It's just incredibly slow. Um, they just don't make it that long normally because it's like literally they're being transported to one planet after another, anyways, for combat. I mean, they don't really retire. <laughs> Although I, I would love to actually see if I could find a space marine that actually did retire. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of interesting. Um, there is one other mention that we do have to talk about, anyways, and that's Dantioch. Uh, you know who I'm talking about there, Yuxin? Um, I believe he's uh, the person that was unnaturally aged. Yes. Uh, his full name, by the way, is Barabbas Dantioch. Um, he was a warsmith of the Iron Warriors uh, Space Marines back in the Great Crusade. Um, and he ended up uh, trying to take on this world anyways, trying to kill a whole bunch of Xenos by the name of the, the Rud. Um, and they got in the way of this uh, Rud migration. But one of the things about their weapons is, is that they, uh, uh, they're like age technology. So when somebody zapped by one of them, um, it, it actually... Uh, um, it like ages everything super fast. So um, he gets into this whole thing anyways. And um, actually there wasn't weapons that they used. It was actually them themselves. Anyways, they had this spore that would kind of come up anyways. It would swarm around them. And uh, um, what ends up happening is, is that it ended up rusting them, their armor out and their bolters. And they ended up aging these, these, uh, um, these space Marines, including Barabbas Dantioch. And it's said anyways, when they looked him over anyways, is that he aged anyways. He was prematurely aged for 3,000 years. But he was still able to get up and keep fighting. Um, he fought for many more years after that, and he fought all the way in through the Horus Heresy. So, um, like we said before anyways, 3,000 years. While he, he, he was kind of an old, crotchety old guy anyways, he could still fight. Yeah, yet more proof, anyways, that space marines, anyways. I think, I think honestly, 
I don't think you could have a space marine die of old age. They would just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And even if they survived every single battle, they would just keep going until they were just too slow anyways to, you know, yeah. live. Um, and okay. So before we do get on to Alpha Legion, I do have to make note uh, on Alpha Legion anyways, in particular anyways, because they, they have lots of dealings anyways with the Chaos Space Marines. Chaos Space Marines cheat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> With their age. That's probably the best way of describing it. I mean, uh, well, you can probably explain this as well as I could. Basically, because a lot of the time they spend in the warp, the warp itself is um, the time that falls in there is differently. So it could be like you could be in there for uh, like, for example, there's a time where assassin was sent to assassinate somebody. When the warp by the time that they got out, it had been like 300 years past when they were supposed to have shown up. So they had to kill like 300 people instead of just one. Huh. So the time that you're in the warp can change how much time has actually passed outside of the warp. Right. So if you have these Marines that spend a lot of time in the warp, I mean, they could look like they're, you know, a hundred years old, but they that's because they've been in the warp for like a thousand years or five thousand years. Well, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I mean, if they've been in the warp that long, anyways, they're gonna look really weird, anyways, <laughs> because they're not gonna look normal coming back out, but <laughs> but they're not gonna look like they've aged, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you haven't aged today, but you've got tentacles coming out of your forehead. <laughs> What's that about, Phil? But, uh, uh, <laughs> like, well, he looked like that before he went in anyways. <laughs> Bad acne. Uh, <laughs> well, this has been fun, but uh, what's on the agenda for today anyways with Alpha Legion, Yuxin? Well, I, I find interesting how much leeway Alpha Legion had when it came to some of their tech. So I think we'll go into that. Okay. Uh, um, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you about some of the tech that they have. Um, let's start with the node weapons of the Primarch. Alpharius wielded the Saracenata, also known as the Pale Spear for the less learned, which was definitely Xenos in origin and was rumored to have been forged even before the rise of the Eldari. This double-bladed spear flickered seemingly out of phase with the material universe when wielded, emitting an eerie and otherworldly howling, and was able to pierce any physical defense encountered without impediment, ripping it apart at a molecular level. Against living matter, it inflicted hideously gaping, bloodless wounds as the flesh where it struck dissolved into oily smoke. Next, we have is the master-crafted plasma blaster wielded by Alpharius, known as Hydra's Spite. The Hydra's Spite was an exotic plasma weapon utilized by Alpharius and several other high-ranking Alphalegion officers impersonating him during the Great Crusade and Horus Heresy. Whether this was one weapon or several is not clear, but its power in battle is undeniable. A high-powered energy pistol, the Hydra Spite did not suffer from many of the shortcomings common in normal Imperial Plasma technology, and is thought to have Xenos components. Cool. Um, but what about a Megan? What did he wield? Well, 
I'd have absolutely no doubt at all that he also wielded a Hydra spite. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And I assume he would also wield the pale spear whenever he was impersonating Alpharius. Um, But as far as I know, there's only one pale spear. Mm. So, yeah, there's that. But, yeah. Okay. I I do got to mention here real quick anyways. So we've covered a lot of, like, really cool, like, singular weapons that a lot of these like primarchs wield and stuff like that but have you noticed anyways that these weapons it's like nothing can defend against them yeah so so here's my question so okay if nothing can defend against them kind of like How that do they dark or dark or yeah uh from the yeah from the voton yeah but uh how how is it anyways? Like for instance, Rogel Dorn anyways. Why why? How is he still alive? Uh, I mean, this, he was Primark. <laughs> I mean, the spear should just cut him into Swiss cheese. I mean, <laughs> sorry, we we can get into that later. I'm sorry. Carry on, sir. <laughs> okay, so following the Primark, we have Exodus. He wielded the sniper rifle known as the Instrument. This weapon is of unknown design and origin and seemingly used a combination of advanced bolter weaponry and gravitic accelerator technology. Oh, yes, I remember. Uh, th- did you by any chance happen to find the instrument this week? Hmm? Why, yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Care to set up a target for me? <laughs> yes, yes. Let's do it. Uh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Now, for you fine folks at home, the instrument has two types of fire. Single. Fire in the hole. And burst. That was awesome. I know. Pretty cool, right? (laughs) Yet, back to our chronicling. But, But wait, wait. I didn't get to shoot it yet. Yes. Now, to look at the war gear not exclusive to notable characters, let's start with the Venom Sphere that only Alpha Legion used. Instead of the more commonplace anti-personnel frag grenades employed by the other Space Brain Legions, Alpha Legion used an advanced variant called Venom Spheres. These deadly weapons contain toxin-impregnated crystalline splinters that have been darkly claimed to be based on Xenos technology. It personally wouldn't surprise me if it was based on Tricari tech, since, you know, they use splinter rifles and love to use toxin to cause pain and death. And finally, we have the Bane Strike shells. These mysterious variant bolter shells, believed to have been designed in secret within the armies of Alpha Legion long before the outbreak of Horse Heresy, seem to have a sole purpose. To breach the ceramite power of space brains. The Elf Legion also gifted the ammunition to the Sons of Horus, where they were used by the War Master's veterans. The Bane Strikes were used openly for the first time at the Dropsite Massacre at Isvan 5 in 6.M31. Their dense explosive cores and firing stresses reduced the range and swiftly degraded the firing weapon, but their effect against the betrayed loyalists were devastating. Fortunately for the loyalists, supplies of these difficult to manufacture munitions were limited, and only the Alpha Legion and Sons of Horus were able to field them, 
in substantial numbers beyond that incident of brutal treachery during the heresy. These shells were primarily utilized by the Legion Seeker squads of the Alpha Legion and the Reaver attack squads of the Sons of Horus. Now that we know a little more about these strange lethal weapons, could you please tell us, Sektar, how they were put into effect by the Alpha Legion? Well, at a tactical level, the Alpha Legion favored freedom of maneuverability and portability of firepower, and its battle tactics showed particular tendencies towards specialized reconnaissance and infiltration units in opening combat operations, to be quickly followed by a rapid deployment of fast armor, close air support, and mechanized infantry units as a main strike force. Attacking from many vectors at once, as well as skillfully employing feints and ambushes, would commonly reveal a foe's weakness to the watching Alpha Legion commanders. They would then bring about maximum pressure against the exposed vulnerability, deploying reserves of shock troops, heavy armor, and artillery as expedient to deliver a shattering death blow. In order to deploy these tactics, the Alpha Legion was known to have developed a number of specialized formations and units, often equipped with otherwise unknown and historic weapons and war gear. They are also known to form subdivisions, referred to as splinters, which operated completely in isolation to achieve a particular mission or strategic goal, without regard to the safety or survival of either themselves or other members of their own force. It was often the case that other allied forces and even the rest of the Alpha Legion deployments in the conflict in which they operated would be entirely unaware of the Splinter's existence or mission. The Alpha Legion's primarch Alpharius' dictation was to attack one's enemies in as many diverse ways as possible at the same time. The most experienced of the Alpha Legion are always specialists in the arts of infiltration and scheming. The chosen agents of their warband's leader, these master operatives are able to bind their victims in spiraling webs of confusion, suspicion, and doubt before springing their lethal traps. In practice, this doctrine manifests in a variety of ways depending on the size of the operation and the locale of the battle zone. Confusion and skull drudgery are the Legion's mantra. The Alpha Legion has been known to deploy devious tactics such as disguising troops and vehicles in enemy colors, coercion, bribery of enemy troops, and even imperial officials and even allying themselves with Xenos and Corsairs. Alpha Legion is probably the greatest Legion when it comes to thinking outside of the box, for they have been known to tunnel under enemy defenses so they can flank the enemy from high ground. They use diversionary tactics by utilizing airdrops, teleportation behind enemy lines, infiltrating their enemy, and causing high degrees of sabotage along with the destruction of supply lines. But what truly sets them apart from most Space Marine Legions is the propaganda war, they usually wage before a single authority has ever set foot on hostile grounds. Normally, this incites civil unrest and outright rebellion, organizing anti-imperial activity and supplying heretical groups and cultists. Through the use of these completely unorthodox tactics, the Alpha Legion is able to deploy smaller and more mobile forces than is normally necessary, for the Legion employs actual combat as only one part of their overall strategy. Now, I believe that you wish to discuss one of these splinters known as um, the Headhunters? Indeed, and then maybe you can talk about another splinter unit called the Lernian Terminator Squad? <laughs> yes, certainly. I love those guys. Okay, so Alpha Legion invented a new type of unit called Seeker Squads, who were formed from those Astarius who were chosen on pure merit as the best marksmen in their legion. The Alpha Legion are said to have first crystallized this tactic and squad configuration, with Emperor's approval, of course. 
which soon spread to the other legions, although it's use sat poorly within the combat doctrines and cultures of some. I'm guessing old Rabute Gilliman was one of those Primarchs that didn't like these secret squads. Yeah? Maybe. But I would bet dollars to donuts, Lehman Russ had more of a problem with it. You know, the wolves. Not too big on being sneaky. <laughs> Good point. Anywho, comprised of a specialized force of space marines, it was the job of a seeker squad strike force to identify and take out an enemy's command structure. It's warlord, officers, priests, demigods, whoever formed their commanders took and slay them with a well-placed bolt round while the chaos of battle raged around them. Now, Alpha Legion took things even further than the Seeker squad tactics. They created the Headhunter Kill Teams. Known variously as Headhunters or Efrit, although this latter term may also have referred to the act of assassination and the sowing of destruction and chaos behind enemy lines mid-battle, as well as particular unit type. Their preference for high-impact strikes carried out by small elite infantry units was evidenced by the fact that both destroyer squads... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Huh? Uh, um, <clears throat> pardon me, but what's a destroyer squad? Oh, well, the destroyer squad's origins date all the way back to the Unification Wars of Terra. During what? the terrible conflict... The enemies of the Emperor utilized forbidden or prescribed weaponry from the Age of Strife, which many legions considered dishonorable. Alongside certain factions of the Mechanicum, only destroyer squads have license to use such forbidden devices such as radiation weapons, biochemical munitions, and phosphex. Normally, destroyers were shunned and deemed tainted by their battle brothers, while still viewed by the Imperial commanders as a necessary evil. So are the destroyer squads solely Alpha Legion? No, they were used by most Space Marine Legions, although they found a home with Alpha Legion who didn't treat them like Hellspawn. Oh, uh, by the way, just a real quick note here. I find it interesting that these guys are called destroyer squads. And the other destroyers that we talked about were uh, from the Necrons, and they kind of retreated the same way by both races. Yeah. They're incredible. What? They're like, well, huh. well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, they're both incredibly valuable resources that actually do a really good job of what they do, but nobody really likes them. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for the info. Um, carry on, good sir. Anyways, these destroyer squads, as well as specialized F Legion sabotage operatives, who were also classified Efrit in some accounts, were treated as respected veteran cadre within the Legion. These supremely skilled infiltrators specialized in creating conditions of all-consuming chaos among the enemy's ranks, sowing confusion by eliminating key officers, positions, and assets. In doing so, the headhunters brought about a tipping point in a battle or an entire campaign, the fulcrum upon which the fate of worlds was balanced. The headhunter kill teams were made up of the most skilled infiltrators and assassins in the Alpha Legion and fielded at the direct command of a senior commander. They had access to some of the most prized war gear their legion could provide, including special ammunition conceived specifically to penetrate armor up to and including legionnaires, the Stardes battle plate, as well as power daggers. Um, pardon me half a second, Yuxin. So, 
I'm a little confused here anyway. So are, are headhunters destroyer squads or can a destroyer squad be part of a headhunter unit? Um, or, or are they two separate units, but they fall, they fall the same category? They are two separate units. The, the idea is the fact that uh, Alpha Legion treasures small units that can do massive amount of damage. Okay. Hence, destroyer squads. That's basically what they are. And oh, then okay. headhunters, so- they cause that by uh, creating conditions where basically armies will tear each other apart. Or right. But okay. So so but both of these, anyways, can be seeker squads. That's what I'm missing. I think. Um. No. No. I got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh. Seeker squads is the level before Alpha Legion took it to headhunter level. Nobody else went to headhunter kill teams because they don't operate the way the Alpha Legion does. Okay, so then where do the destroyer squad fit into all this? It is because destroyer squads are actually treated with respect right. in this Legion. They are used basically as uh, weapons of mass destruction instead of a normal infantry unit. Okay, so maybe uh, I guess I guess maybe this is a better question anyway. So so do they work? So they work in tandem then, the headhunters and the destroyer squad, or can a destroyer squad or a person in a destroyer squad become a headhunter, or do the headhunters work with the destroyer squads? I guess I'm, I'm, I'm confused as to why we brought up the destroyer squads to begin with. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; they're cool, but why? Why did we bring them up again? <laughs> if they're not really to help with anybody, <laughs> project the fact that Alpha Legion treasures them, along with other small units that are effective, like the Headhunter Kill Teams, which obviously other legions don't like. And actually respect them. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's what the connection is. Okay. It, I it's they were not like a they operate <laughs> exclusively together, or one can become the other. Uh, well, that would be kind of cool if you could get a, a destroyer, anyways, that becomes a head honor. You know how awesome that guy would be. But yeah, not not only that, by the way, but power daggers. Yeah, they're kind of like power swords or other <laughs> powered weapons except for they are the size of a dagger well, a space marines dagger anyways <laughs> um Jeez. so it's probably like a normal size power sword but they just well maybe daggers. a short sword but <laughs> yeah. uh, okay sorry to interrupt carry on sir Okay, so in the ranks of a legion already renowned for its ability to infiltrate, misdirect, and assassinate, headhunter kill teams were nigh unsurpassed, and their deeds were known beyond their legion and feared across the galaxy. More than likely, the Elf Legion Traitor Legion still maintains this elite formation in the modern 41st millennium. Now, tell us about those wonderful Terminator squads that the Elf Legion used. Right. Alernian Terminator was a member of an elite formation of Astartes warriors used exclusively by the Alpha Legion during the Great Crusade and Horus Heresy eras of the 30th and 31st millennium. 
Though the Alpha Legion maintained and fielded the entire spectrum of Legionus Astartes unit configurations, few knew of the Lernian Terminator squads. Ironically, this was not because they sought to obscure their existence, but rather because they rarely left behind any witnesses of their deeds. The Lernians were, like the mythical beasts that were their namesake and the icon of their legion, an unformed legend and the object of a shrouded dread. They were the grinding jaws of the many-headed Hydra, a furious assault from an unexpected quarter. And like the beast of myth, they were all but impossible to kill. Clad in the cataphracty pattern Terminator armor, chased with Baruch finery, and armed with Volkite chargers, they were fearsome close combat assault and vanguard spearhead units against which few enemies could stand. In battle, they advanced relentlessly upon the foe, descending with controlled fury and slaying any enemy driven to rout before them. Having secured their objective, they held it stubbornly against all counterattacks like a great beast with its jaws clamped firmly about its doomed prey. But the foremost task of the Lernian was to swiftly isolate and destroy the most powerful frontline troops and potent battlefield assets of a foe possessed, and to do so in such an emphatic and bloody manner that not only was a potential threat to the Alpha Legion's attack eroded, but the psychological shock of their attack would further damage enemy morale. Such was the calculated cruelty cold brutality employed by the Lernian Terminators, as their reputation quickly spread through the Alpha Legion itself, yet nobody else. Unfortunately, your legend grows only if there are people around to tell it, and the Lernian Terminators did not allow for such things. It is unknown if this formation still exists in the Alpha Legion of the 41st millennium. Well, I think that covers it. But tell me, brother, what are your final thoughts on the Alpha Legion before we move on to other things next month? Well, First off, after we've covered everything, I do think that uh, one of the Primarchs is dead. Right. Um, and one of my reasons speaking behind which, that. Well, I said, speaking of which, how is Dorn not dead? <laughs> if he's got that cool spear, how is he not, like I said before, how is he not Swiss cheese? If I recall right, he just uses a regular chain sword. I mean, it's yeah, got a cool name because he's a Primarch, but it's not like it's... And it's big. <laughs> it's not like it's a, a, a magical doodad weapon that the Emperor gave him. It's it's just a straight-up chainsword. Yeah. What should have happened was Alpharius just looked at it and, went, <laughs> and sliced it in half and then stabbed him through the gut if he wanted to kill right. him. Which kind of gets to the point that he probably really didn't want to kill Dorn. Anyways, sorry. It <laughs> makes you wonder how... On, how intelligent Dorn was being at the time. Well, okay, Dorn. Okay, I, I actually kind of like Rogel Dorn. Dorn is is he he's he's like a bloodhound. He's just like straight up loyal. You could you could toss him into you know a vat of acid and if you told him to stay he would stay. <laughs> but uh and I think that was the big problem, quite frankly. I think that was Alpharius's problem, is that he, he was talking to the wrong Primarch. Of course, then again, what other options did he have? I mean, who else is he going to talk to? Well, here's the thing, is that even if he's trying to talk to him, the guy shut out everything, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, well, like I said, that's Rogel Dorn. The Emperor told him to stay, and he stayed. <laughs> Good boy. I mean, that's... It's Rogel Dorn. 
and, and quite frankly, anyways, in, in by the way, in the next uh, little voxes that I'm doing, I'm talking about the great scouring. And one of the things that I will, will be talking about is Rogel Dorn, anyways, after the Horus Heresy. And his character drastically changes. Um, he becomes actually far more interesting and significantly cooler, in my opinion. But I digress. I mean, getting back to the, what I was talking about, who else could, could Alpharius talk to at this point? Um... Uh... I mean, well, obviously he can't talk to Gilliman because Gilliman already hates his guts. Right? Uh, <laughs> Not to mention, anyways, he can't talk to him, Sanguinius, or uh, uh, Lionel Johnson because they're on the other side of the Great Rift at that point. Well, he could have talked to uh, the Khan originally before they tried to prevent him to doing anything. Okay, but yeah, he of course, talk to the at, at the same time, the Khan, and this is one of the things that I'm sure I've mentioned is the fact that the con was a unknown factor. Yeah. The which only is one why that... people would approach him and ask, okay, are you on our side? Come on over to our side. Nobody knew. So they're just like, okay, we'll leave this guy as is. I mean, one of the things that I found was, is that, I mean, he was, he kept himself incredibly distant pretty much from all of his brothers other than one. Well, actually that would be, there was two. Okay, well, who, who's think. the second one? Well, one of them was Magnus. Okay, I didn't know about that, actually. But the second one was Horus. Yeah. Well, that's one of them was Magnus, and he actually helped uh, create the Librarius. Um, oh, really? But, yeah. Uh, but he was, that's one of the reasons why uh, he apparently had this conversation on um, what's the Thousand Suns? Prospero, Prospero, with uh, I think it was like a fragment of Magnus or something like that. Right, and that was after, anyways, the burning of Prospero. Yeah, he's like, "Is there any way they could bring you back?" And he's like, "No." He's like, sorry. "Okay." Yeah. Which, by the way, there there is an actually kind of you brought up Jagatai Khan. Um, I actually just did a vox on this, anyways, on the Chondax Crusade. And uh, there, there is a point in there anyways. And, and by the way, Alpharius was actually cranking the wheels of, of what we have lovingly dubbed as Plan C. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the, that the point. Mysterious breaking of uh, transmissions. <laughs> yes, well, yes. Blockage. Yeah, they pretty much kept them in the dark all the way up until it was actually Alpha Legion that actually destroyed. There was this... Uh, Psy emitter, anyways, that was that was kind of blanketing all communications, and it was Alpha Legion that actually destroyed it, so that all of a sudden Jagatai and the White Scars could actually get information. Yeah. So I mean, they, I mean, like I said, the wheels were turning at that point with Jagatai, but um, other than that, though, I mean, who? Lehman Russ? Lehman Russ didn't really like. No, Alpharius. because they had already <laughs> attacked Lehman Russ. Remember? Well, no, okay. Okay, I don't know. Let, let, let me remember anyways. Is that before or after Pluto? Uh, was Pluto, Pluto before or after the burning of Prospero? Pluto was after the burning of Prospero. But then again, also Alpha so Legion would have attacked. So have been after. Well, Alpha Legion also attacked after the burning of Prospero too. Yeah, they attacked the, so. the, the retreating, limping fleet of the Space Wolves. Right, which it was like very shortly after the burning of Prospero. 
Which, you know what, it actually, you know, this actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. Uh, maybe anyways, that was actually, because if I recall right, was it one of the Primarchs there at that time? Um, was supposedly part of the there? conjecture is yes. So as maybe. One, as impersonating one of the Terminators. Yeah, so, so bear with me anyways. Maybe he actually did try to communicate with Lehman anyways at the same time. So maybe he I find primary. that very doubtful because I think even he knew that Lehman Russ wanted of. Well, maybe it was just kind of one of those like, well, maybe we can talk to him, and then he got to the the, the <laughs> he got to the bridge of the spaceship and just saw Lehman Russ was like murdering Alpha Legionaries, and he goes, ah, "Never mind, <laughs> I think I'll leave." <laughs> this this was not a good idea. This was not a good idea, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he really has anybody else to talk to at that point, other than Rogel. I can't think of anybody else anyways that it's even within the ballpark where he could actually communicate with him that was still a loyalist. Yeah, I don't know. Was, it, was there anybody that was past that rift? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, okay, so Ferris... If Khan had to use a particular item or something to transport past the rift, right? No. No, he didn't. Well, because he was he was on the right side of it. There, there, there were there were three. No, there were three. Terra. Yeah, no, no, no. He was on the right side of the rift. The rift split, anyways. I think it was the uh, the east part of the empire, and he wasn't he wasn't over there. He was on the west side. Oh, anyways. so so he could actually make it back. And the re one of the reasons why Horace did, or well, one of the reasons why Horace didn't have a problem with that was because he really honestly thought he could persuade Jagatai, anyways, to his cause. And unfortunately, anyways, Mortarian showed up before he could even talk to him. And Mortarian kind of made a blunder of things. Well, and then Horace came to him and asked him, and then no, I think I think he had already gone back to. I don't. Did he ever talk to Jagatai? I think there was more than one that actually approached him. Oh, well, anyways, we're gonna... <laughs> and basically he looked at it. I think actually Horace did come hole, you and ask him. Beware the rabbit He said, "I, you know, I understand that the emperor screwed up, but you know what." I see what's happening with you and where things are going your way, and that's really screwed up. <laughs> that's bad. That's even worse. <laughs> and out of the two, I did give my word to the emperor, so I'm going to have to go with him. <laughs> we, we've also talked a few times anyways. Okay, so, yeah, we, we started with this whole thing on the Battle of Pluto, and we ended up talking about Jagged Tycon, and we will eventually talk about the White Scars. They are actually a pretty cool space legion. Yeah. But... So I, and I really do think anyways that the reason why he really was trying to talk to Rogel Thorne, though, was because he was really kind of out of options of who he could even talk to at that point on that side of the field. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's Rogel Dorn, so, I mean, he didn't really get much there. But, and it does sound like anyways, Rogel Dorn did kill one of them. Now, we've also kind of discussed anyways on which one is still alive, and I think we kind of both agreed it really doesn't matter. Because we think that yeah. both of them, anyways, were kind of in lockstep with what we call Plan C. Well, um, I do think. Well, here's one of the things that I do think is because one of them died, it would explain why, even though, as they say, pretty much all of them traveled not in the direction of the warp. There were some that did travel to the warp and join Chaos. So that leaned more towards because of the fact that you no longer have both these power forces and control that there'd be a gap of power there temporarily for that <laughs> to be able to happen 
I, I hate to tell you this, Yuxin, or it could also be in any ways that they actually didn't think the same thing anyways, and then when one of them died, <laughs> half of them anyways went to the, the warp, and the other half anyways went with the, the, the other Primarch. But that's 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 throwing out too many wrenches. <laughs> let's let's keep this a little bit more finite. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I think you can agree with me on is that they don't though follow the emperor. The emperor? Yes. Mm. Okay. Well, well, okay. The act like like the actual person, the emperor, or are you talking about like the imperium? Uh, well, right now the Imperium too, because the Imperium's really screwed up now. But uh, they're getting better. <laughs> Gilman's back. <laughs> you know, King Smurf. Uh, <laughs> not to mention, anyways, L. Johnson's back too. L. Johnson will reign in Gilman. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> These two fought against each other, remember? Uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't. I mean, no, they did. <laughs> okay, they they never actually came to blows against each other like L. Johnson did. Oh no, he just happened to break L. Johnson's sword. No, there's no blows there. No, no. See, <laughs> oh good, it's just a sword. You can get another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> and that was under extreme circumstances when they were trying to build a new empire, uh, the Secondus Imperius. But uh, um. We went down another rabbit hole. We got we got to stop avoid. We got to start avoiding. Okay, so <laughs> I'll I'll reel us back into another area. Oh, oh wait wait wait. Okay, so your question was, do you think that they follow the Imperium or the Empire? Yes. Uh, I don't know about that. I I think anyways. I think they definitely anyways aren't um, good chums anyways with the Emperor. I think this is more anyways that he might have looked at this and said, okay, we need to look past the emperor or they look past us and they said, we need to look past the emperor and we need to look more towards humanity and the survival of humanity. Right. And unfortunately and, the way that the empire currently is conflicts with that. Right. The whole aspect. I mean, <laughs> I think it was Bjorn that said this anyways. He said the emperor of God, isn't that how this whole Horus heresy thing got started? And he's got a point. And I, like I said, I'll be going over that actually with this the uh, this whole scour, great scouring. But uh, the the concept of the imperial cult now, anyways, I think is so drastically far. I think even the emperor himself, anyways, if he could take a step out of the golden throne and be all back to normal, anyways, if he took a look, anyways, at what everybody thought, anyways, I think he'd be really, really pissed off. If that makes sense. Yeah. But even before then, before he had, I think they're looking at him and they're going, okay, this thing's starting to slide sideways anyways. There's issues. Right. The needs to I, even before he entered the, the throne. Right. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact anyways that he was they were looking at the emperor and saying, okay, he's becoming way too uh, uh, ambitious with what he wants to do. Well, that's just going to lead to destruction. He's already started it anyways, and with Horace anyways riding through anyways, this is a good opportunity anyways to, you know, make sure that humanity survives. Right. And that will unfortunately be without the Emperor. So they they are <laughs> they're basically loyal to humanity as a whole, 
not right. not individuals, because as we know, they're causing mass hay- mayhem and destruction. But right. uh, I but think at this point, anyways, they follow the Almighty up. Plan C. And I think Plan C, like you said, anyways, is anyways for the uh, um, the salvation of humanity. Yeah, which I think now they're on probably Plan G or H or something because they have to adjust it so many times because of all these new factors coming in. Like, for example, the Tyranids. Right. The fact that the Necrons are popping up more and more. Well, like, um, like we said, like, like you were saying anyways, they've got to be on a new plan anyways at this point because... Uh, we say they, but we're thinking he at this point, right? Because yeah. we think one of them died. So he's got to be on a new plan because Plan C had nothing. The Tyranids didn't even exist during the Horus Heresy. I mean, they existed, but they, they weren't in the Milky Way system. Right. So there's no way to even plan for them. The Necrons were just kind of this weird thing that every once in a while popped up. They're starting to pop up more now anyways, which is a problem. I mean, they, he knew about the Eldar. Because they've been around and the orcs, obviously. Yeah. But other than that, anyway, uh, I don't he, think he, they were expecting the beasts, though. Uh, <laughs> With his attack moon that can destroy planets, <laughs> I, I think that wasn't something that they were expecting. But here's Just the thing. Uh, okay, so here, here's one of my last questions for you, and then we can kind of go into over, overall viewpoint on on Alpha Legion. If they are really, anyways, for humanity, anyways, how do they come back into the fold at this point? Um, how do we get to the point, anyways, where they're actually back fighting for the Empire? I'm thinking, well, there's two things about that. One is we've kind of established that they don't have the same beliefs as the Empire right now. Right. So they wouldn't necessarily want to join with them right now. Okay, well, maybe not right uh, but now, but they eventually will have to. And I agree. With you. They'd have to find an in, not necessarily with one of the Primarchs, because most of the Primarchs that are around, well, one of them is, of course, you know, Gilliman, and he hated Alpha Legion. Right. And of course, he'd also hate the fact that he didn't kill one of them. Yeah, but um, L. Johnson's still around, and he, he was always kind of cool with, with Alpharius. Um, there's also... Who knows? He may also be looking for some of those Primarchs that randomly disappeared. Uh, well, there's what three which, of them. Which, if if he did that, he could go, "Hey, I got this guy with me. That's my it." And I think, like for instance, if okay, so if this is a wild thought, if he could somehow get Lehman Russ, anyways, to join his side <laughs> of things, and like I said, that's a wild thought. But think about it, anyways. Line, uh, uh, Lehman Russ, anyways. Never really liked the concept, anyways, of what Gilman did with the second founding, and he didn't like the way that Gilman ran things. But he went along with it because he didn't want to start another civil war. Um, And and I think actually, probably if he went with Vulcan, because if we're thinking he's looking more towards humanity, Vulcan would be more inclined to go with them, and possibly the Khan. I don't know. Okay, so maybe maybe this is part of Plan G. Maybe we'll call it Plan G now, anyways. Or actually, we should call it Plan V because he's looking for Vulcan. <laughs> he gets Vulcan to join inside. Vulcan or Plan J. <laughs> yeah. Well, Vulcan, I think, could definitely get, anyways, Lehman Russ on board. They actually kind of well, saw a little bit more. Probably get any of them on board just because it's like, Vulcan. dude. 
<laughs> Vulcan's kind of like everybody's buddy. So yeah, oh, I hear you. But I do agree with you though on the aspect though is that if he does, because he is going to need if if, if humanity is going to sur survive, and if Alpharius or Omega, whoever's still alive, anyways, wants that to happen, he eventually is going to have to side anyways with the loyalists. Which will mean, anyways, that there has to be huge government reforms for him to really want to do that, or he'll have to instigate them. Yeah, um, and to do that, he's going to need some backing. And, and who knows? I, I, I mean, got an idea. What? He could kill Wargar. <laughs> I, I don't know if he can. Then he would have Wargar. it in with Korvax. Okay, so. Because Korvax I don't, I don't think didn't end up entering the warp just to hunt down Lorgar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hence why he's there. Uh, who knows what Korvax looks like at this point. He's been in the warp for so long. Poor guy. <sighs> but, <laughs> um, and, and, and like I was about to say anyways, who knows? Maybe he, he might be able to turn Gilliman. I mean, he, he, Gilliman never really liked Alpharius, but Gilliman's also an empire builder. I mean, who knows? Maybe his whole thought process, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And, uh, and if and if Alpharius could actually get L. Johnson on his side anyways to run through it. And, and honestly, I think Gilliman at this point anyways is very tired of the high council. <laughs> so if somebody shows up anyways, like, hey, I got a better way of doing this anyways. Like, oh. Thank the emperor. I'm in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, let's just do this. Yes, I hate you. You're a son of a word I can't use on this box, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll work with you. <laughs> just get rid of these guys. And this is where randomly we find out that yes, there was more than one Exodus, <laughs> and then there were no high council. There you go. <laughs> Shortly thereafter. <laughs> So real quick before we, we 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 hang up the phone on this Vox, uh, what's your overall viewpoint of the Alpha Legion? Now that we've we've done some some research, some history on them, what what's your thought on them? Um, I think they were actually I think out of all the legions, they're traitor legions. I think these ones are probably the one that I like the most out of them. A lot of them I don't like. This one I actually kind of like. Because of how convoluted and they might not necessarily be for chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, not all of them anyways. Just, just out of curiosity, what's your runner up? Uh well, I can't really go with the soul drinkers because I don't know about the second one of them. And the first one, there isn't enough of them left. Uh I figured you would have gone with uh, um, uh, Perturbo's boys. Uh, I don't know that much about them, but I think those are the ones that believe in iron more than they do in. Yeah, their their mantra is. Blood. Yeah, their 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 mantra is iron within, iron without. The yeah. whole concept is is that uh, <laughs> uh, Terran forty two. Anyways, it would be uh, this is Sparta. <laughs> yeah, that's them in a nutshell. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, carry on. Um, so yeah, I like their the Elf Legion's aspect and its characteristics. And even though it's also very frustrating 
about their characteristics. It's one of the things that makes mm-hmm. them so unique and so interesting. Yeah. Um, before I get my viewpoint real quick, anyways, who do you think actually would be the better uh, Space Marine commando, so to speak? Do you think it would be Alpha Legion or do you think it would be Raven Guard? Um, Ooh, that's a tough question, isn't it? <laughs> what can you – it depends what the purpose is for the unit. Uh, infiltration and assassination. Assassination, I'd go with Alpha Legion. What? Okay, what about infiltration? Uh, I would toss a coin on that. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason why is, okay, so Alpha Legion, as we've explained, their whole viewpoint is we infiltrate and assassinate slash disrupt everything. Right. The yeah, but- guard, the more that I see them, it's less of, now I don't know about them nearly as much, obviously. Right. Uh, they're more for just quick assassinations from what I know. Uh, Not so much for infiltration. Honestly, this was probably the question I just asked you is probably one of the hardest questions that I could ask because quite frankly, anyways, they actually, when it comes down to tactics and using subterfuge, uh, um, infiltration, stealth, that kind of thing. Anyways, they both line fairly closely. Raven guard. Okay. Give an example of Raven guard. Anyways, after the drop, uh, drop massacre, uh, right. Svon five, um, Raven guard, what was left of the Raven guard anyways, spent the next, I, think, I can't even remember how many months anyways, doing hit and run tactics. And they survived on that planet that long until eventually anyways, they found a way to escape. Okay. I mean, they are like they're like ghosts in the night. They they are they are like the Space Marine commandos. But at the same time, anyways, Alpha Legion, uh, from what we've read and from what we've we've acknowledged, anyways, Alpha Legion is very similar. I think um, one of the differences is is that you can see Raven Guard more as commandos, but then you look at Alpha Legion and it's less of it's more of a set in stone tactic with a little bit of adjustment whereas the raven guard it's we can move on um they they can improvise more quickly and efficiently maybe Mm. is the best way to put it i think i think actually uh you got a good point there uh to me anyways it'd be like terran 42 anyways The, the difference between the two would be like the seal teams and then like cia wet works guys yeah. I mean, they're both very good anyways at infiltrating and, and exterminating whatever they need to, but at the same time, one's really kind of a military unit, and the other one is is more of a spook Yeah, than anything else. Um, well, thank you for that answer, that, and, and thank you for your overall viewpoint. Uh, to me, anyways, the thing that I found interesting about Alpha Legion, honestly, was actually their Primarchs more than anything else. You know, which <laughs> one came first? Uh, Alpharius. <laughs> and and did it come before or at the very end? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I am Alpharius, and that is a lie. I it just I, the subterfuge between the whole, you know, and and just how convoluted the history of those two primarchs is to me, anyways, is very interesting. And the most interesting part about it, though, is that weird 
single thread of truth that seems to kind of flow throughout the whole thing. To me, anyways, that was fascinating as a historian running through and trying to figure out what it was. And really, anyways, just getting incredibly frustrated trying to figure it out. And then finding out some answers, but then having about 50 more for every answer, <laughs> every question that we had, we found about 50 more questions. Right. To me, that was fairly interesting. But uh, unfortunately, folks, that is all the time we have for today. And while confusing, I must say Alpha Legion has been quite interesting to chronicle. Indeed, Zektar. But next month shall be far more interesting and fun. Uh, really? And why might that be? Whoa! Taga, taga, taga! We be talking about the orcs again. Ah, <sighs> uh, yeah. How can I forget about your favorite race in the Milky Way system? Yes, folks. Next week, we'll be talking about everyone's favorite greenskins. The orcs! Quite right, Zekdar. And for those listening, if you like our box, please follow, subscribe, like, and comment. Yes, and if you have any questions, feel free to ask them in our comments or send them to our website at www.ashraka.com. Yes, that's www.ashraka.com. Indeed, and as always, <clears throat> this is Alpharius. And that is a lie.